Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 38 Gaznor the Sailor Troll. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Kevin J. James's table in the Levitating Platter. Well, I am very happy to introduce this week's episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests with kind of a personal hero of mine. I've been watching him on YouTube since my college days, and now he is a documentarian, an editor, a jack-of-all-trades. Mr. James, would you care to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Uh, Sure. My name is Kevin James. I am a filmmaker from Massachusetts. I am a documentarian, as Kurt said. I also make shorts that I submit to festivals. I've been doing web content with my friends Ryan and Neil since 2006 something like that but yeah as Kurt said I'm kind of a jack of all trades I do a lot of a lot of content because I know I started college in 2006 and through the power of YouTube and probably Neil was my gateway drug I don't know some people say he is the internet I don't know if that's true (laughs) but that's how I found you and it's been a lot of fun to watch your creativity blossom in the age of the internet and YouTube your documentary that you did not for resale was great I can't recommend it and give it enough five-star reviews oh thank you man since this is a D&D themed podcast, right. have you ever played and do you currently play the game? I've played variations of D&D. GURPS was a big game my friends and I played mm. back in college. Some of the uh, sketch was another form we did where you draw your character out and you'd figure out uh, your stats from there. So I've never done what I would say is full blown all in d and I've always done some poor man's permutation of it. I know that GURPS has been brought up a couple of times on this podcast already. So uh, <laughs> some like to criticize it as spreadsheets, the game and others say it was their jam. So yeah. you thought it was a fun system to be able to play in? Yeah, it was probably the most successful campaign I ever got to be a part of because there's so many D&D games you jump into and maybe you only get through like two sessions and then you can't get the same gang back together. But my big GURPS game lasted two semesters in college, I think. Wow. So it went, went pretty long. It was uh, every couple of weeks we'd get together. It was steampunk themed. That was probably in 2005, 2006. Do you happen to have a favorite NPC either from an RPG or a video game, film, TV, etc.? And why are they your favorite? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, my favorite, I guess you'd say, scheme of NPCs are from the first Max Payne game because it's probably three voice actors all trying to do variations of their 
poor man's New York accent, which is really funny. I mean, because this, this that game's now 20 years old, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think one of my favorite NPC interactions in a video game would be the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie adaptation on PlayStation okay. 2 and GameCube. There's an NPC named Vic, and there's a boss fight against the Shocker, and in a cutscene right before the you meet the Shocker, Shocker mm. looks over at one of his henchmen and says, Vic, let him have it. And my friends and I always thought that was funny. So we quoted uh, Vic, let him have it for years. Because <laughs> uh, Vic, it was the only henchman that got a proper noun. Like he, he got a day. I know. <laughs> I want to know Vic's story. Does Vic become his own supervillain in the Marvel Universe now? Uh, in the Raimi Universe, maybe. And then for the side quest part of the show, do you happen to have a favorite side quest from RPG or video game, etc.? And why is it your favorite side quest? Oh, it would have to be something from Final Fantasy VIII, because that's probably my favorite JRPG. I took like 14 years to beat that because I would pick the game back up and it would have been so long that I would just start over again. And it wasn't until I could play it on my Vita that I was able to actually finish the thing because you could bring it with you and it's a lot easier to put 80 hours into a game when it's portable. Exactly. Favorite side quest. I don't know if this counts, but would collecting every issue of Timber Maniacs in Final Fantasy VIII count? It was kind of a collectible sure. side quest thing. Yeah, collecting magic magazines in a final fantasy game is a completely reasonable side quest yeah why was it your favorite i liked how much world building it involved because there was a metafiction element to it and it truly felt like a side quest because everything else that popped into my brain when you asked the question was stuff from like the persona series where i personally don't feel like the side quests in that feel optional they feel like i love those games particularly for four is excellent but I don't know. There's something about coming across a Timber Maniacs magazine that felt liberating in Final Fantasy VIII. It wasn't a compulsory thing. I didn't feel like uh, I had to pull out a strategy guide for it. Did it give you an in-game benefit of some type? Oh, I'm sure it did, and I can't remember. <laughs> oh, fair enough. A lot of the other side quests in Final Fantasy VIII were finding guardian forces, which were like the summons of that game. I got most of them blindly playing through the first time I beat it. And then I looked at a strategy guide on like game facts or whatever and realized that like I was missing like 30% of them and I got bummed out. Ignorance was bliss in that situation. Whereas Timber Maniacs, like they don't come in handy during a fight per se. Because the only magazines that I in recent memory have referenced to are from Fallout series. And Fallout 4, which takes place in post-apocalyptic Boston, do give you an in-game benefit. Whereas in Fallout 76, you can get benefits from it or you can build a magazine stand and collect them and show them off at your camp. RPGs got so much more complex around, would it have been the 6th gen, the 7th gen? Like the 360 PS3 era. Mm. Because I completely missed out on JRPGs around the PS2 GameCube era. Got back into like western rpgs when the fallout 3 hit and all that as someone from massachusetts was it interesting being able to run around fallout 4 with it being boston and being like oh yeah i've been to that place or i know that reference or i get that well what happened was in the span of like three four years boston showed up in all this big media including fallout 4 and the last of us and that most recent godzilla movie but it's always trashed <laughs> mm. like i remember as a kid playing the driver games which were i don't know if you know remember the driver games they were like the first 3d open world driving game before grand theft auto 3 and, huh. and every game would have three or four cities it was within reason that they would do a game where you could go to boston and i always thought oh they should do boston in one of these games and then by the time boston started showing up in video game it was like this demilitarized hole in the ground in the last of us i think you go to park street station and it's terrifying because that game's terrifying but fallout 4 i absolutely walked immediately to the equivalent of salem in fallout 4 because salem's my favorite part of massachusetts mm -hmm. 
Massachusetts, and I kind of like set up my own little base out there. Uh, I loved that. And all the creatures out there are very uh, aquatic. There's like a little witch city out there too, which was awesome. I liked Fallout 4. It was a good one. But before I get too lost in a video game tangent, Mm -hmm. what are you passionate about and why? Photography right now, because whenever people listen to this, this is the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I can't make video content the way I normally do. I don't do vlogs or animations. I usually do skits and short films that involve other actors and crew members. So I've been getting back into photography. My biggest sin as of late is staying up late on Amazon and eBay and Craigslist, just looking up new camera lenses I can buy. And that's sort of what I've been most involved in lately is just getting really into just still photography work i'd say that's probably my biggest passion is just the technical angle of filmmaking i love problem solving and i'm a real gear hound i really like the technology of making video and photography that's cool i can definitely appreciate it as a consumer of the entertainment that you produce that (laughs) all that investment that you've been doing in yourself has paid off over the years i think i wrote a review on lettered box about no place like home where you (laughs) played the robot equivalent of the tin man and just seeing how you all collaborated on that film then coming to your latest documentary not for resale you can just see the growth and the knowledge that you and your friends have accumulated over time I got to say, it's super impressive. And so it's cool to hear that even in this time when everyone's shut indoors, you can still find passion and joy in uh, photography and, and all the equipment that comes No, absolutely. With. I mean, the, the hardest thing is to my best friends, Ryan and Neil, we make a lot of short films together. And right now we keep trying to do podcasts and things like that. And it just doesn't really fit our creative rhythm. So right now we're trying to cook up a script we could do outdoors exclusively that, that uh, would take advantage of the fact that we have all these forests and woods around us where we live in Massachusetts or even the ocean. Just something quick and dirty that we could do without risking getting sick or feeling irresponsible. But yeah, photography, particularly uh, macro photography, seems to be the thing a lot of people in my position are getting into. Getting a macro lens and then just taking close-up photos of flowers and animals and things like that. I might be getting a telephoto soon so I could do bird watching. Just anything involving a camera where I could throw my earbuds and go out in the woods and just walk. Awesome. Well, I think we've learned quite a bit about our guest, Mr. James, and I think it's only fitting now we segue into the NPC creation. All right, so this is the part of the show now where we get to organically create an NPC that anyone can stick in their D&D campaign. So have you got an idea that you're bringing to the table or are you wanting to randomly roll some dice or what are you thinking? Now, I have some character traits that I like to play fast and loose with when I make characters and campaigns, but I'm worried that being an NPC, it might be a little too busy or over-directed. You tell me if this works, and if it doesn't, I say we go to the dice. I have this old character I cooked up for a Star Trek themed campaign I did back in college where this character was an engineer like the Scotty of the group okay and his strength and weakness was that he was a bit of a technological fanboy in that if he saw another alien races uh, weapons or spacecraft things like that he would know all their faults it's like if someone sees you pull out an Android phone and they're an iPhone fanboy they'll mm-hmm. tell you everything wrong about the Android phone or if someone's like a big Nintendo fan and you tell them you only own an Xbox 
One, they'll tell you everything about the Xbox One. Am I making sense? Like that kind of, uh, they're like prejudicial about ah. technology. Does that make sense? D&D is all about improv and saying yes and. So if this is the idea that you want to own and run with, I'm happy to guide you through the process. Or I can tell you that we've had a number of guests use the charts that I've created and roll dice. And we've made some very interesting discoveries <laughs> of characters along the way and had to just come up with something on the spot. It's your show. What works better? Bringing a lot to the table or playing the numbers? Because the numbers is starting to sound funner. I mean, if you want to have some fun, why don't we play the numbers? Let's do the numbers. So the name part is going to be a 20-sided dice. So why don't you go ahead and roll that and let me know what you get. 20 landed on 19. 19. Oh, okay. So that means it's like the penultimate best name, right? 20 being the best name, one being the worst. Right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you're in luck that this name was submitted by one of our previous guests, Daniel Stewart. So the name that we've got is Gaznor, which is spelled G apostrophe A-Z-N-O-R. Gaznor. Gaznor. Okay, I like Gaznor. Okay. The next item that we're going to roll for is going to be the ancestry of this Gaznor individual. So why don't we go ahead and roll 2d10 for a d100 effect. I got a 1 and a 10, so an 11. 11? That would make it a troll. Gaznor the troll. <laughs> Sounds like the villain from Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The next thing to figure out is going to be the job or role that Gaznor mm -hmm. has. So that will be a role on the D8. D8. I got a five. Five is a sailor. So Gaznor is <laughs> on the high seas, apparently. Or the riverways. Who knows? Awesome. And then let's see. The next item is the age of the character. And this you'll just have to roll a single D10. Gotcha. And I landed on seven. Seven midlife. So he's a middle-aged troll. So Gaznor is a middle-aged troll sailor. Exactly. And now we get to take a slight pause as we set the dice aside as we now start coming up with some descriptors. So describe the physical appearance of Gaznor, the troll sailor. Oh, I've, no, I have to decide this. This isn't mathematic, right? Correct. Yes. This is all just creative now. This is all very right brain now. Okay. He has a wooden leg, of course. Of course. But it's, it's used. It's kind of rusty, like the hinge is rusty. I mean, it gets the job done, but he's not the most mobile. He has two eyes, but he wears an eye patch because he's getting up there and he he likes to take breaks so the eye patch alternates uh, each uh, day. Okay. He's pretty bald, but he won't commit to it. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got a little bit in the front. <laughs> okay. Not a lot going on elsewhere. He's pretty jacked for his age. Like if he was 15, 20 years younger, you wouldn't even notice. But because he's at the age he's at, you go, oh, he's, he's in pretty good shape for a troll his age. Awesome. Cool. Interesting. Just the thing jumping out to me is the fact that he has a peg leg. Because if I'm not mistaken, that sometimes trolls have rejected generative properties so like if you chop off a limb or something like that it'll grow back or maybe even mm -hmm. a double like a starfish yeah like a starfish kind of so to me it already sparks an interesting story the fact that oh he's middle life you know maybe his regeneration powers aren't working as well as they used to it's like logan <laughs> oh man oh that was such a good movie too that's such a great movie one of the best movie theater experiences i've had and i, I want to clarify not just a peg leg but like almost imagine like a two by four coming out of him and then there's a hinge where the knee would be and then oh. more wooden leg below it so okay it's a real calamity <laughs> it's, okay is it like a squeaky hinge you can hear him coming oh absolutely because he neglected it he didn't put enough wd-40 on it there you go or the fantasy equivalent of wd-40 perfect yeah 
Yeah. All right. So we've got this beautiful specimen pictured in our minds now. What three adjectives come to mind when we're looking at Gaznor? Stubborn, insecure, loud. Interesting. All right. Now we get to go back to rolling dice. So now the next thing we have to determine is a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that he follows. So this is going to be like a one-two combo punch. So the first thing we're going to roll is a D4 to figure out the category that we're looking at. Gotcha. I got a one. That is a valuable item. Nice. You will get to roll a D6 to figure out what that magic item is. D6. My D6 gave me a four. Interesting. Okay. So the valuable item that Gaznor has in his possession is a missing page from an ancient tome. Hmm. Very good. And then the last dice that we're going to get to roll is now we're generating the side quest. So let's go ahead and roll a D12 to figure out what is the side quest that he'd be willing to recruit someone for. D12 rolls and it's a five. Five. Okay. Let's see. I'll read this out. You tell me if you think this is good or if you'd like to think of something else or re-roll. <laughs> the thing that it says is plot a path slash course through a dark forest to the next town. Do you think that's something that would fit Gaznor? Do you want to re-roll? Or do you think you have enough inspiration to kind of come up with your own side quest? The fact that he has like a marine life twinge to him by being a sailor means that the only way that quest works is if it's like a Panama Canal thing. Right. Or like Fitzcarraldo. Um, faster, faster. Maybe we should roll again. Uh, just because just I feel like you're going to really be pigeonholed into what you could do creatively with that. Sure. Yeah, go ahead and roll another D12 and, and see what we get. D12 gives me a two. Okay, I'll, I'll commit to whatever this is. Okay, this one was submitted by our previous guest, Charles Basili. So this one is perform an impossible task. So Gaznor wants the heroes to be able to perform an impossible task. What that is or what a troll would think an impossible task would be, I don't know. What do you think? I keep coming back to the Marine thing because my father was raised in St. Croix. So when I was a kid, all the stories I heard about were the beach and fishing and spear fishing and stuff like that. Okay. So I'm thinking this pirate has some sort of old sea salt story about a treasure or something important that's at the bottom of an ocean, but you have to get down there unassisted. You have to like be able to withstand the pressure. You can't take a submarine, basically. Right. You need to get like a certain amount of atmospheres down holding your breath. <laughs> it to be able to get a certain item does that work yeah so it sounds like it would be like a c note or if it's like i know it's somewhere up there on the east coast you correct me if i'm wrong but like the money pit or whatever the fabled <laughs> one where treasure hunters always go to and they can never seem to get there so do you think like he has knowledge of like some sort of treasure so oh i know of this treasure and it's buried in this one spot but the only way you can get to it is by seemingly holding your breath while enduring crushing depths of water on top of you before you could actually get to the treasure yeah and there's probably a certain class of DD character that would work real well for this as long as it's not like a technically assisted thing like i think a magic user or someone who's like extremely athletic maybe could pull it off mm -hmm. i don't know if that's cheating the seemingly impossible statute of this. Maybe if some magic user left the treasure in the first place, maybe they made it so that magic won't work to get down there, perhaps. Yeah. So you would have to be someone strong to get down there. Am I breaking the impossible stipulation though i don't want to like bend the rules too much we kind of play it a little fast and loose you know we're all about having fun and saying yes on this show if you're happy with that i'm by all means happy with that nice 
So as we're thinking on this side quest of doing the impossible task of trying to retrieve this treasure without using magic, what's going to be the reward for succeeding? So Gaznor tells the heroes of this seemingly impossible task. They go up to the challenge, they succeed, and they return to Gaznor and say, look, we did it. What's going to be the reward? It can bring someone back to life. Oh, interesting. So the item at the bottom of this impossible well is like a magic item that can restore someone... Like you could resurrect someone? Yeah, like in um, Shadow of the Colossus, something like that. Like, it's a bit of a taboo, but if it's done, it works. Interesting. Have you played Shadow of the Colossus? I haven't. I've seen a lot of YouTube oh, okay, videos okay. where they talk about it, and I know, spoiler alert for anyone else, but, like, you go around killing these giant monsters, but really you weren't supposed to kill the giant monsters, and it turns out mm -hmm. you were the villain the whole time or something? Basically, you don't know enough information about this land you've entered. The story is extremely minimalist, and it works to its strength, but you have a young, recently deceased woman with you, and if you kill these creatures, there's a handful of them, mm -hmm. she will come back from the dead but as the game goes on it's never flat out spoken but through subtext and environmental clues and even the score you start to realize that maybe you're the bad guy in this situation maybe you're disrupting this peaceful land but i do like the idea of that being the one thing something very difficult to find can do they can bring back one person because i think that's still fantastic but it's not some outrageous world destroying scale thing it's not a the infinity stones it's not <laughs> it's not the world engine from man of steel it's like a more basic like okay this can bring back one person from the dead right no and in DD fifth edition there is the spell true resurrection which would allow someone to come back from the dead even if they've been dead for like 200 years or something like that whereas the wish spell which which is what you're talking about, like the Infinity Gauntlet, that has the power to massively disrupt and ruin many campaigns if wishes are not phrased correctly. So, okay. Yeah. So they succeed in the quest. They get the treasure. This treasure allows them to cast through the item one usage of the true resurrection yeah. spell awesome okay you definitely need a campaign that sort of limits the amount of phoenix down usage or whatever <laughs> like you have to make it so like okay well that's like not a big deal because in every campaign you can just do that <laughs> right and definitely yeah. it's a higher level spell and i think only certain classes of characters can even cast that particular spell and it has a material resource cost as well so it's definitely not a freebie that everyone's going around like oh yeah true resurrection on you true resurrection on you so yeah. all right but now the flip side of it gaznor gives them the the side quest they try it they fail in their attempts to do it or they refuse what's going to be the consequence of either of those two options well, i suppose gaznor would like on a more subtextual level just make make fun or like you know think little of you for being a coward but i don't think gaznor he doesn't seem at his age that he would be hostile i don't know if he would have any immediate negative consequences and being a regular npc we probably shouldn't hinge an entire campaign on this totem right getting this thing at the bottom of the ocean right so negative consequence of not doing it obviously you can't bring someone back from the dead and maybe there's some sort of i guess like an ulterior benefit from befriending gaznor but i'm trying to think of what that could be like something you wouldn't see coming that would like maybe he has a certain skill he could teach like maybe he's good with a certain musical instrument or whatever and sure. he could like yeah give you like some free guitar lessons that kind of thing <laughs> so it sounds like the consequence of failure or just refusing the adventure so refusing the side quest is yeah he makes fun of you and gives you grief and then certainly if you're unable to do the task then you could probably die in the attempts of trying to retrieve said <laughs> item I suppose. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You don't get halfway to the bottom of the ocean and come back. <laughs> it's all or nothing, right? So. Yeah. Yeah.
What impact has Gaznor made on the world? How has he shaped a local area? And is there some current problem that prevents him from being a bigger player on the stage? Hmm, that is a good game design question. Something that prevents Gaznor from being a bigger deal or the player from being a bigger deal? Prevents Gaznor from being more important. I really like the missing leg. <laughs> Maybe in whatever village or town or world he comes from. Like basically people equate your value to your gate. <laughs> okay you know how, like on invader zim power is determined by height ah yeah i think i remember that yeah so maybe like his inability to walk smoothly like basically like lacking that leg really hurts his social status i see and so he's just relegated to living a sailor's life and this is the best job that he can hope to have in a civilized yeah. setting i suppose rather than being like a wild troll living in the mountains and tacking travelers and stuff like that oh yeah 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 most people just assume that the sailor thing came first and he got the leg second but he's like no 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 <laughs> yeah the cart came before the horse this time chicken and egg situation here well i think we've learned quite a bit about our npc and it sounds like it's the perfect opportunity to have a random encounter <laughs> So now this is the part where we're going to get to role play a little scene, a little vignette, if you will, with Gaznor. And so with you being a director and an editor, if you were to direct a scene with Gaznor, what kind of scene would you want to set to give our audience a better clue and idea of exactly who Gaznor is? So we're talking about like environmental context where you come across him? Yeah, exactly. Like we're trying to give our audience an idea, a sample of how and what way they could possibly deploy Gaznor, how he's going to talk how he's going to act, is he going to offer the side quest, etc. I see, I see. I always like the NPCs that aren't obstacles. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about Final Fantasy VIII is that most characters in the game will play Triple Triad with you, a card game within the game. Mm. And you walk up and instead of hitting the usual interaction button, you hit square on the PlayStation controller and that mm. begins the card game. And if they play cards, you go in. So I would like Gaznor to be a patron of a bar, perhaps. Okay. Like one of those guys in the back, out of the way, like he's not mission critical but if people examine a certain area that's where you'll find him like you know kind of drinking away his sorrows who would i be in the scene then should i be one of my adventuring characters stumbling upon him or should i be or another one of his sailor buddies or what do you mean i'm sorry so you're the player in this situation right exactly or i'm another character in the scene and we're just doing our little vignette to get a glimpse into gaznor's life i suppose oh yeah i suppose gaznor when you run across him should be arguing with another sea salt about the treasure they should be like debating something and they're just chopping him down because he's like one of the few troll pirates in existence and they mock the fact that he can't even hang out with trolls now oh he's not a top brass pirate okay when you come across him he should be argumentative and like starting some uh, grief with someone else so I'll be another crew member and I'm in the middle of having an argument with you about this treasure, about this story that you tell everyone and then maybe give you a little bit of grief. And then uh, I guess the scene will end. And then that could be an example, cut scene, background dialogue thing that <laughs> heroes would hear and then be like, oh, someone's feelings got hurt. We need to go talk to him. Now, real quick, did we come up with a name for this life restorative treasure at the bottom of the ocean? Did we come up with a name for it? We didn't, but you are more than welcome 
to make that up on the spot or if you need that now before we dive into the scene. Because I don't want to pigeonhole the DM here. I don't want to give them too specific proper noun, like a name of this ocean, because whatever world they've built, you know. Sure. They'll know the name of the lake or the ocean. Right. But of course, a DM can rip off anything and change all the names they want, so. Okay. Let me think. I feel like I need to have like the name of an ocean in front of me. What's a good name for like a creepy ocean or a damned piece of, uh, we'll call it the Sea of the Damned. That works. (laughs) That sounds pretty metal to me. Yeah, yeah. A seaside town, the seagulls are squawking, the faint roll of thunder out somewhere on the distant ocean, and the camera zooms in, and you can see that it's a lively body tavern. It looks very rough and tumble, and we can zoom in on a scene, and it appears some crewmates are arguing over a game of Liar's Dice. Ah, it looks like I beat you again. You thought you could bluff me, Gaznor, but you, you ain't nothing. Nothing like your stories I hear you tell on the ship. Uh, I have me a handicap with my monocle eye. Uh, If I had my other eye patched up tonight, it'd be me squawking about the victory. Ah, and all the other sailors are kind of ribbing each other. Old troll sitting around, can't even walk none proper with his finicky leg. Squeaky squeak. And then like a couple of them like chuckle at each other. No one need be taking a walk amongst the squalls. Why, what pirate has two legs nowadays anyway? A couple of them will start agreeing with Gaznor. And then the other pirate who's sitting across from him be like, Ah, makes no mind. I think you're daft, man. I think you're daft. You're useless. I don't know why the captain even lets you be on the ship. No use having troll with only one leg. One of the other pirates will be like, Oh, Larry, let off him. He had a good run. Ah, the captain keeps folk like me around because he knows I have a valuable secret. And then another guy goes, Oh, here we go again. All right, go ahead and tell the story. It's a very valuable secret. The crewmen who know that Gaznor's told this tale will kind of settle down. The guy sitting across from him just kind of leans back in his chair, rolls his eye and goes, All right, go ahead out with it. Beneath the damnedest sea, to the damnedest west, in the not-so-damnedest south, lay a treasure that can resuscitate even the deadest of friends. A couple of them chuckle and, like, pat themselves on the shoulders, like, all right, go on, get to the good part. Well, that's about the size of it. Ah, and then they kind of like, ah, and like some of them like slap each other on the backs and be like, all right, Gaznor, good one, good one. Well, I'm going to go to the bar and get another round. And the game slowly starts to resume as sailors are shuffling around getting their drinks. And the scene goes on as nameless hero characters were witness to that scene. And seed end. All right. I should have worked in how he misses his leg, but then I'd just be ripping off Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny too hardcore. That's a good movie, by the way. It's a fun movie. Tim Robbins steals that movie in like two minutes of screen time. All right. Well, what did you think of our little scene? I know I try and make sure I I prep everyone before we jump in it so they're not totally surprised. But what did you think of this exercise of getting to be Gaznor? I had a lot of fun. I thought you were uh, very gentle with it. You kind of gave me a few layups there with like being willing to do the pirate voice first to let me know that I was in good company and I could get away with doing that. I hope I sound okay going into my blue Yeti. Hopefully I didn't peek too hard there. Will we be able to fix it in post, right? Oh, for sure. Hopefully my pirate grammar works for whatever for people discover this because I feel like some of it got away from me there. 
Whenever I do an old man voice for a project, I've been told by my friends that I sound too much like a pirate when I do an old man voice. So I feel like that's my go-to anyway. I think pirate voices are, they come naturally. Pirate's a good one. Do you have a favorite pirate in a movie? Favorite pirate in a movie. That's a good one. I mean, I know a lot of people probably nowadays would gravitate towards a Jack Sparrow type. I know it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember there's the Gina Davis Cutthroat Island. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever watch uh, Treasure Planet? Probably my two favorite ones now that you helped me get to it treasure planet for sure and then muppet treasure island how could you not love tim curry as long john silver oh yeah that's perfect some people are really big on uh cabin boy i was never a big cabin boy fan but there's some other murray brother pirate action in that but then you got to sit through chris elliott <laughs> but there's some good pirates in that movie i think too and who doesn't love the muppets that movie's awesome well i could definitely stay on forever and just gab with you about movies and video games and everything else but i would be doing a disservice if i didn't ask you for your final thoughts on this whole experience of being a guest on the podcast i actually did improv back in college and i didn't realize we'd be doing that much today which is my fault that's fine so this was really fun it woke me up in a way <laughs> and i like doing extemporaneous comedy stuff and coming up with uh convoluted characters and mythos and things like that right and honestly i haven't gotten to play a good game of DD in a while i have started one up recently with some friends over uh hangouts mm -hmm. and it's been slow going we usually get like 10 minutes into the session and then we all I'll just jump on our playstations and play a bunch of games together but i'm trying to get back into DD. I, I think it's a really good thing to maintain for theater of the mind purposes it's really good to keep the cobwebs out of your head and it's a good way to play professional pretend <laughs> that's awesome and I, I do hope that you and your friends get to play more DD. &D. and certainly if gaznor the troll sailor pirate ends up in a future comedy sketch of yours i'll at least know that i've made my mark on the world absolutely <laughs> i would be remiss if i did give you the mic give you the platform and let you plug anything you've got going on where can people find you on the interwebs where can they find all your awesome projects that you're doing i promise dear listener that i'm a better documentarian than pirate you can find my first feature film not for resale a video game store documentary on amazon on vimeo it'll be on itunes and direct tv soon and it's about you guessed it mom and pop video game stores it's about the people that run them across the united states into Canada. I went to about uh, 20 video game shops with my partner, Tom Shalfour. He and I made the movie together. And yeah, it's a 90 minute movie. It's a real movie. And uh, you can you can also find it at gamestoredoc.com. We've got some rave reviews, some big video game luminaries. We're big fans of the movie. We were going to open the GDC Film Festival with it this year, but that got canceled a week in advance. <laughs> For obvious reasons, I was going to fly out and I was going to be on stage and open it. It was going to be great. But what can you do? Well, Mr. Kevin J. James, I thank you for your time and your graciousness for being a guest on the show and hopefully we can have you back on to make more interesting NPCs. No, oh, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I should have done my homework more and known there'd be an improv element, but I'm really glad I got to do that because I haven't done that in a long time. So thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, https colon forward slash forward slash sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the podcast. To stay up to date and share your fan creations, you can like and follow the podcast on social media by searching for at Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also on Reddit, so join our subreddit community at 
r slash side kq podcast to share your art stories discussions and commentary if you'd like to hail the bard send an email to sidekicks and sidequests all one word at gmail.com i ask that you please leave an honest review on itunes to help spread the word about the show sidekicks and sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy meaning i'm not approved or endorsed by wizards Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four!